Hello and welcome back to another Manchester United podcast. I'm Helen and as always Sam and Maisie are on the mic. How are we both? All good. Hello. Very good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm just wondering when we will next be together, guys. I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, when will we be able to come and do these together, have some food? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We could have lunch over Zoom though, I suppose, couldn't we? Anyway, it's good to see you. <laughs> yeah. Good to see you too. Yeah, that'd be nice. Having a sandwich over Zoom. Maisie just sits and eats his eggs during podcasts anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, he does, yeah. And salmon. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Who have, got, who have we got on today? Today's guest, a fellow Northern Irishman. Oh. That's all you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Keith Gillespie is today's guest. You know Keith well as well, Maisie, don't you? I do, yeah. Keith was probably at the club maybe about 12, 18 months. And then uh, he was part of the Andy Cole deal uh, to bring Cole in down from Newcastle and Keith went the opposite way so mm-hmm. yeah looking forward to it he's a, he's a great lad some good stories Do you what do you remember um, of him as a player? very quick very direct loves the dressing room loves, loves being in that environment mm-hmm. um, just a, a, a really good lad and uh, Maisie there's no one you haven't called a good lad uh, well you're a bit of a t- Sam <laughs> <laughs> yeah I walked into that one fair enough carry on <laughs> Uh, no, and do you know what? I only associate myself with nice people, and um, well, that's what I was going to say. If we got somebody on that you didn't like in the podcast, you probably would say I can't make that one. Yeah, exactly. So no, so Keith's a good lad. He is, of course, famously part of the class of '92. Yeah, exactly. And he's he's uh, he's, a, he's a top player. He is. It'd be interesting to see if he had the opportunity to if how he sees his United career, whether he had to make the move or you know whether he could have stayed. Mm-hmm. Also. Obviously, he's a famous footballer, but he also has another side to him that people will know about because he's talked so publicly about it, which is his gambling addiction. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant book if yeah. either of you haven't read it before, How Not to Be a Football Millionaire. I've not read it. Oh, Sam, you need to read it. It's so good. Yeah. I will order it today. But actually, I'll see how the chat goes. I might not need to. No, exactly. That's true. <laughs> Always good to follow up with a bit of knowledge. Anyway, I'm looking forward to this one. I've met Keith a few times, of course. John and him played the Northern Ireland team together. Um, hopefully we'll get to touch on that too. And yeah, looking forward to this one. Here's our chat with Corn Beef. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Cheers, Sam. Thanks a million. How are you? How's your lockdown been? Uh, yeah, it's, it's the same for everyone, isn't it? You know, you've just got to get on with it. Hopefully we're sort of coming towards the end of it and a bit more normalities. But um, yeah. Are you homeschooling, Keith? No, the kids, my, my two kids are in, um, my two daughters are in Essex and my other little boys in the same town as me. But uh, I've been doing a bit of school time or school homeschooling over uh, FaceTime, which is an absolute nightmare. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like an absolute nightmare. I've, I've sort of actually given up now, so I have, because she's, she's not, it's the youngest one, so she's not really listening to me or taking out and in, so I've sort of just given up. It's just a norm, isn't it? Nobody listens to you. Uh, well, you would know you would know that. <laughs> the lockdown's actually going on longer in Northern Ireland as well, isn't it? Are you able to play golf there yet? Well, do you know what? I'm actually not a member anywhere. I just sort of play wherever. And I think the rules have just been lax today now. Where, so you might find um, yourself out in the course. Exactly, where non-members can play with members. So I'm definitely going to sort something out ASAP because with the weather we've had, it's been an absolute nightmare. Mm-hmm. People back playing golf and I'm sort of still sat in the house. And- <laughs> Maisie, are you like that? 
Uh, we're all right, Sam. We're, we're, North Manchester has now um, opened up fully, so four balls and competitions are going. You still can't touch the flag and you can't rate the bunkers and things like that, but um, no, just as Keith said, just to get back out and just get walking around and playing, it's, it's great. Mm. How long have you two known each other? I think, did you come about 1994, Maisie? 94, yeah, yeah. 94, yeah. So since then? Yeah. Although, I, I mean, I left. You sort of came, did you come summer 94? Uh, yeah. Pre-season? Yeah. Yeah, so I was only there maybe six months and yeah. then I was away. Mm-hmm. Best six months he's ever had though. Yeah. <laughs> Long enough to make an impression, isn't it? <laughs> that, that's why you had to get away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well, we're talking 26 years now, so... Yeah. Yeah. That is, a life that is a life. Oh yeah. my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> but you both know each other more over the years doing the masters football and that sort of thing. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, 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 just on trips that we're at, we always mm-hmm. have a we always have a good laugh and a, yeah. a few drinks, and yeah, it's good fun. So it is. Bit of banter, good crack. Yeah. Is it right now that because some people know because you appear on MUTV occasionally? Do you enjoy that kind of work? I do, yes. You know, I do it now and again. I do the odd little bit for Sky when more so when Northern Ireland are playing. So, yeah, it's something that I've done since I've finished playing just the odd time here and there. So it is something, yeah, I like doing. I'm, I'm, I'm involved now in the in the agency side of things, football agency side of things, so that keeps me busy as well. Certainly the uh, the media stuff is good. I was lucky to be doing the Euros in, in France four years ago, so... That was good to sort of get away to see a major tournament and, and how well Northern Ireland did in it. What got you interested in the agent side of football? Because I suppose when you have a career in football, you want to be involved in it afterwards. Most people look at coaching and stuff, but I think that's quite interesting that you, you've gone into the agency side. Yeah, do you know, it was something that came to me. It was a, a guy approached me about it. Um, and just obviously because, you know, you've played the game and been involved in the game you sort of know what a player would expect from an agent. You know, I had a couple of agents. I only had two agents in in my career, but the first one that I had when I was in Newcastle uh, tried to rip me off when I moved to Blackburn. So I then changed agents and had a, another agent for the rest of my career. And he was he, he became like a friend. I think it's important to have a relationship with a player yeah. rather than you get these agents now who don't speak to players for six months and then new contract comes up where they're moving and they want to be on the phone to them whereas you you want to build that relationship and trust with them where you're speaking to them you know just a just a quick you know phone call to ask them how they're doing how did he uh, Keith how did he try ripping you off well I, I moved to uh, when I moved to Blackburn he got paid 100 grand by Blackburn yeah but he didn't tell me that Blackburn paid him and he tried to hit me for a bill for 75 no. for 75 grand so the only wow. the only reason I found out was because um, the hundred grand went through my wages, and I see I seen fee oh. pay. So then I was liable to the tax on a hundred grand as well. Yeah. So I had to sort that out and everything. But um, you know, he, he obviously wasn't happy for an afternoon's work of a hundred grand. That's unbelievable, <laughs> isn't it? You know, because the way the contra- the way the, the transfer happened was it was Gary Neville who rang me and said the kiddo wanted me at Blackburn. So then I got on to him. Yeah. We went down the next day and I signed. So he didn't actually do an awful lot of work. <laughs> you know, so it was So Gary Neville should have been getting the hundred grand, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, and did you did, was that it then? You just I uh, just totally totally just cut your ties. Yep. And now and then the agent I got was uh, was a guy who had a small stable, only about six, eight players, but it was it's somebody that I've, I've been friendly with. I speak to once a week, even now. Yeah. You know, and as I say, it's important to have that relationship with an agent that that you are going to yeah, trust, definitely, especially definitely. 
footballers are, are very naive, a lot of us. And and just, you know, if you if you have that trust in a, in, a, in an agent and if the agent knows you, if an agent knows you're sort of naive and, and you know, take anything in, they can exploit that. So it's important that you have the right person sort of looking after you. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Especially when you're so young. Um, talking of being young, Keith, take us back to the start. Obviously, you grew up in Northern Ireland. Was it a happy childhood? Did you play a lot of football? Uh, what did you spend your time doing? Yeah, no, it, it was a happy childhood. You, you, you know yourself about growing up in, in the Troubles, but um, Bangor, you know, you're sort of, it's not too bad where, where, where we are. Out of it a little bit, yeah. You're 12, 13 miles from, from Belfast where a lot of stuff would have happened. I remember actually as a kid, actually a bomb going off in Belfast and hearing it in, in Bangor, 13 miles away. Wow. You know, that is that is a, a sort of early memory of, of, mm-hmm. of a you know, childhood for me. And it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, you're talking about a bomb. You know, people talk about childhoods yeah. and they're talking about happy times and all that there. And I'm talking about a bomb going off. But, but it was so normal though, wasn't it? That was just everything that you knew. Like I remember I was talking to... Um, Johnny about this actually the other day like when you were at school and it got announced in school there was a bomb scare you were like yes but like when you think when I think about that now like I'm like you're actually getting out of school because there was a bomb scare but at the time you're just buzzing to get out of school I mean nine times out of ten or maybe more it was uh, it it obviously was just a a bit of a hoax yeah but um, yeah it it, it did become the norm and you know whenever you turned on the TV you know, and you've seen the troubles on the TV. You know that was that was normality for you. Um, and you know, thankfully mm-hmm. we've we've got past all that. But yeah. you know, yeah, it was it was a it was a happy childhood. Um, I mean, my dad was a prison officer um, in the in the Mays prison, so he had a, a obviously a high profile job as well. Wow. But you know, he, he he pretty much shielded us from that. He never brought work home. You know, obviously he's locking up. You know, people from from IRA people yeah. from from the the loyalist side as well so it was a it was a dangerous job but was that quite scary for you as children or did your parents not really make you aware of how dangerous that probably was I, yeah I'd, I'd say you know we weren't made too aware of it you know you just sort of think oh, I just relax people up that's it but you know yourself what's what happens in Northern Ireland because you get a stage where it's pretty much the prisoners that run the prison that run the prison mm. uh, because of everything that was going on. But yeah, we weren't really made too aware of it. Um, you know, you just get on with with what you were doing and, and school life and, and obviously playing football was, was was what I did. How would you what would you like at school, Keith? Was you a clever lad or yeah, I mean, I went to a, a grammar school. Yeah, all boys grammar school, uh, Bangor Grammar. Yeah, I wouldn't have been top of the class. I wouldn't have been bottom of the class. I'd have been probably in the middle. Yeah. Studied languages at school, which was sort of into study French, German, Latin. How much of that do you know now? Yeah, uh, zero. That was worth it then, wasn't it? It was something I was really into, you know, and uh, the, it, even if I was going to stay on to, to do uh, A-levels, you know, I obviously went across when I was 16 but I was going to stay on I studied Japanese because I knew then it was only going to be a two year course to try and get an A level on it but I obviously then uh, went to Manchester to, to start my apprenticeship What was you like as a kid at football? Was you best in the class? Would you have been the first pick? Or Yeah I, I, I probably would have been um, although when I went to grammar school uh, the school never played football 
they played rugby. So I, I had to play rugby and I had quite a few problems with the school because um, I got into the rugby team and they played on Saturday mornings, but my football was Saturday mornings. So I didn't turn up for the rugby. And then when I got when I got back to school on Monday morning, they would start giving me detentions and all, and then they would give me Saturday morning detentions. And and, and this is even, uh. this is even that period when I was sort of thirteen and I'd played for you know Northern Ireland under thirteens. I'd I'd agreed to sign for Man United, and they were still sort of making my life difficult. So that's crazy. Yeah, that's quite common that in Northern Ireland though in the schools, isn't it? Grammar schools just play rugby. I remember Johnny saying that I think he had the same sort of um, problem. So you played for St Andrews. Yes. When you were young, yeah. Yeah, I played for St Andrews in Belfast, who would have got all the scouts coming to watch them. Um, and the manager actually was uh, a Rangers scout as well. So he had sent me to Rangers. Um, and then the following week, I went to Man United. But as soon as Man United, you know, said that that was it, they wanted to sign me. You know, it was uh, that was me because obviously growing up a Man United fan, you know, it's a no-brainer for you. Who scouted you, Keith? It was Eddie, Eddie Coulter. It's yeah. I'm sure that's probably who scouted um, Johnny as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eddie uh, Eddie Coulter, who was who sadly passed away a few years ago. Yeah. But um, I think his son does it, Tony now. Mm-hmm. Tony looks after the, the scouting side of things, I think. But um, no, Eddie was absolutely fantastic. And I'm sure Johnny went through the sort of pro- same process of going to the uh, School of Excellence and, and stuff like that there. So yeah, it was, um, you know, when you're a Man United fan and all of a sudden, you've signed for them it's it's just a, an incredible feeling mm-hmm. before you joined had people already i guess because you were a winger and because you're from northern ireland but people already comparing you and saying oh he can be the next george best yeah I, I, you know i think that's just something natural which happens to anybody from northern ireland and you know i think probably norman whiteside had it before him sammy McElroy probably had it before him but you know these are um, you know these are people who you know, are totally different players to, to what George was. I mean, obviously, I was a, I was a winger like George. And, you know, my, my nickname actually at, at, uh, when I came to Blackburn then became Bestie. And, you know, I still, sort of still get it from quite a few people today. But I think that's probably more for off the field than, than on the field. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yes, but as I say, I think it is just a natural thing where, you know, that anybody from Northern Ireland going to Man United, they're going to get, you know, the next George Best label into them and you know it's just something you, you've got to just try and ignore you know we all know how good George Best was you know we've seen all the footage and you know we're very proud being from Northern Ireland to you know that somebody as good as him was was from a you know a little country that we have here Are we country how did your move to United come about in the end uh, well basically I went across when I was 13 I uh, had a week uh, just trial and you know I thought I did okay nothing spectacular but you know, at the end of the week, the manager brings you in and, and lets you know, you know, are they going to bring you back or, you know, they'll monitor, monitor you or, or sorry, we're, you're just not for them. And he says that they, they wanted to sign me. You know, as I said, I was 13. You, you can't sort of sign until you're 14 schoolboy forms and then the guaranteed um, two-year apprenticeship. So that was pretty much how it happened. Um, so from I was 13 years of age, I, I knew then what my focus was that I was going to England at 16 and, and had that two years as an apprenticeship to try and make it as you know onto professional forms then who did you come over with Keith? Um, it was Colin Murdoch yeah Colin's the same obviously year as me so um, ended up 
Niven and, and Diggs uh, at the beginning I lived with Rob Savage and Diggs shared a room with him but um, we moved Diggs and I shared a room with, with Big Collins so right. you know, Big, Collin, Big Collins a great lad um, who had sort of known it was nice that you're sort of going over with you know other people and you know just the daunt being daunting going over on your own I'd known him since I was a, you know a young lad played against him and stuff so He'd have been, he'd, although he's this sort of same, he's only like about three or four months younger than me. He actually, he could play sort of in the year below uh, just because of the way his birthday fell. But he uh, he would have captained the Northern Ireland uh, schoolboy team that I played in. Right. So yeah, I knew him uh, I knew him quite a while. What was it like when you went over at 16, um, when you went to live with another family? Was that a daunting experience or one that you enjoyed? No, it, it was... Um, it was tough, you know. We we lived um, right beside the cliff with Lady Brenda, who a lot of a lot of players had I lived with. And to begin with, there was um, Colin McKay, who I think made a, maybe made a couple of appearances for the first time. Mm. Colin Telford from Northern Ireland, uh, Adrian Doherty from Northern Ireland, who, who sadly passed away a few years ago. And then there was Rob Savage. Uh, and myself all in one house yeah well she had um, she had two houses and they were oh yes somebody else was telling us this we lived on one side she lived on the other sort of there was a yeah. uh, there was a door knocked down was, you know so it was all one house but it was two houses if you know yeah. what I mean so we had uh, we had one side of it she had the other side of it so um, yeah I mean you know it's very it's obviously very tough coming moving away as a 16 year old because you're still very young and you know, to be moving to England, you know, it's I know it's only a sort of forty minute flight or whatever it is, but it's massive as a kid. It it is, you know, you're you're all of a sudden thrust into the you know the big bad world, and you've just got to get on with. It. But I think you know you got to get your mindset that that's a sacrifice that you have to make if you you know you want to be a professional footballer. So I quickly, although I was homesick at times, you know, I I had that mindset that look, this is what you have to do. I suppose the players that you were with, I mean, because you were obviously in the um, in the FA Youth Cup winning team. I suppose the the group of you must have become very close because you're all those lots of you are those sorts of ages and had come away from home. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I was I was quite lucky actually with living with Rob Savage because as soon as he sort of passed his his driving test, you know, he'd have went home most weekends, but I'd have gone home to his house with him and you know we stayed with his family and also. You know, that was, that was good because otherwise, you know, you're stuck in, you know, especially on a Saturday night in, in, in Manchester, you're stuck in the, in your dig. So you are just doing absolutely nothing. It's just sort of groundhog day, a bit like now, actually. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> you, you can actually tell the truth, Keith, because there's no chance you would have stayed in on a Saturday night. Uh, I, no chance. I, th- I, think when you, I think when you're on YTS wages and you're on 46.75 a week, and to be fair, I've probably given most of that to the bookies that week. There's not an awful lot left. <laughs> <laughs> was that your first year, 46 quid? The first year, 46.75. Uh, I, was, I was on £27.30 my first year. Four. Ripped off, maybe. And then it went up to 35 and I thought, wow, <laughs> this is mint. Eight, I, eight, eight quid. I know, it was, we used to think it was great when you uh, when you got a uh, win bonus for the A team or B team because you got a £4 win bonus. Uh, we was only on two. Yeah, too much money. <laughs> uh, £2 for a draw for us. It's mad, it's crowd. You wonder you wonder how you survived. I know, I know, it's mad. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it sort of keeps you keeps you grounded. Um, you know, you get these uh, young kids now who 
are getting just stupid contracts at the age of 16, 17. And, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, even when we actually signed, you know, professional Beckham, Skulls, Nicky Pod, Guy Neville, Ben, we signed our first year contract was 230 quid a week. And um, we've all played, we've all made first team debuts in that. We're all in and around the first team, but I think he was a great believer and you needed to yeah. go to that next level before you went. Yeah. You know, she started earning the big money and it did keep you grounded. Yeah. How do you mirror that thought process with now working as an agent, knowing that obviously there's huge amounts of money involved and understandably people want some? Yeah. I mean, just think that things change, doesn't it? Um, you know, you think about the money before. You know, the likes of what George Best was 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 earning. You know, and then you see what people are nowadays. You know, it's just it's just the way life goes. But you know, it is it is it is crazy money what what players earn. But but in the same way, good luck to them. Yeah. You know, it's 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 not the it's not the player's fault. You know, there there's a serious amount of money in the game. But as I say, it's it, I mean, it is a short career as well, and your career can you know, all of a sudden be over just like that. You know, you get an injury. So mm-hmm. the, the players, as I say, it's not them who, who who decide what what they're worth or what they need to be paid. Could you could you imagine then how much money you'd have spent at the bookies? <laughs> yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be crazy to sort of think. Uh you know, because obviously Did you go to the bookies when you were sixteen? Uh maybe just yeah, probably was Is that 16. legal? No, I don't even know. No. Okay, no, no. I, I, it was only because uh, Colin McKay and Diggs and me said that I fancy taking a walk with him to the bookies one day. I'd never been before, and I, I was there. I went with him, and I, I think I've got an addictive personality where I was just as soon as I was in there, that was me hooked. So that was me there every single day then uh, when I wasn't training. <laughs> So quite an expensive walk. Do you ever think, Keith, when you when you look back, obviously, I know we, we might get into it. The amount of money that you actually lost gambling and stuff. Had it not been for Colin McKee to go down that bookies that day, <laughs> you wouldn't have got into it. I, 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 I don't know. I, it, it could have happened then a, a different way. You know. Yeah. You just never know. Uh, but I'd have say I'd have said I probably did. I mean, my, my my dad liked to do a sort of bet on a Saturday. Yeah. You know, so maybe that was maybe it's generic. I don't know. Yeah. But I'd say it probably would have happened anyway. But you are you trying to look at me to, to blame Colin McKee, are you? Yeah. That's maybe well, always blame someone else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure when he met you, maybe he would have got into it anyway. Uh, it'd have blamed yeah. me. It'd have blamed me. We can uh, we can get into this again further if it comes back in the story, but we should talk about whilst at Manchester United winning the FA Youth Cup because that must have been something really special. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was great. You know, been. I'm not sure how how many years it had been since since they'd won I think it. it was since but, the Busby uh, Babes. Is that when it was? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Um, you know, so for a club like Man United, and and you know, you sort of think about the history of bringing young players through. You know, it's it's an awful long time. And I think, you know, we were quite fortunate because of the youth team that we had. You know, you, you sort of get youth teams and you can maybe have two or three who you get offered contracts the following year. But to have sort of eight of us in, in that one year all signing professional is, is something that doesn't happen very often. So I think we all helped each other, you know, in, in terms of how we sort of progressed. But, you know, the, the youth team, the year we won it, um, you know, I, I, I played, um, I think I'd played every game until the quarterfinals. And then I was just, I was having a really bad time. And, you know, I think that just happens to young players 
you know, they go off the boil a bit. And especially as a winger, it, a winger is a real sort of confidence position. And I just wasn't doing it. So I'd, I I never played in the semi-final. And then I came on a sub in the final. Um, so it was just nice to be a part of it again, because as I say, I had a, I had a sort of rough sort of six weeks, two months. And as I say, you're only just turned 17 or I 17 then. So, you know, you're still very young and you're sort of thinking, you know, every uh, two years isn't a long time when you, when you think about it to try and get that professional contract and you don't want any blips, but it's, it's just the way it is. But it was great that we actually won it. We got to the final the following year. Unfortunately, we got beat by quite a decent Leeds team at the time. But, you know, as I say, it was, uh, it gave us a sort of, a bit of um, recognition from people, the fact that we'd won this Youth Cup and people started talking about us. And I'm sure probably when Maisie um, arrived at the club, he was probably well aware of of the group of sort of players yeah. that, that were coming through and making sort of a bit of noise. Did you actually think, Keith, looking at those players then, would you actually think the craze actually went on to? I, I'd pro- probably not. As, yeah, as, to that extent, yeah. To, yeah, to that extent. But I think we all knew how good, you know, everyone was. You, know, you, you look at sort of Beckham, the career he went on to have. Uh, Scalzi, just incredible. Gary, mm. Nicky. Yeah. You know, Ben Ben was, was so unfortunate because Ben, you know, would have been a, a we had, we, had, we had Ben on last week. Maybe Ben won't tell us. But how good would he have been? Or could he have been? I, but Ben's big thing was... I, you know, obviously Ben played left wing and I played right yeah. wing, but Ben probably wouldn't have had the same pace that I have. But but the thing that Ben could do because he he was two footed, he could go inside and outside. Yeah, and he and he could de- deliver a great ball. I mean, you don't you don't know how far he would have gone. The fact that um, him being a left winger, you know, Giggsy's obviously at the club at the time. Sharpie's at the club, but yeah. you know, I know I know he obviously went to to the likes of Huddersfield and Aberdeen few other clubs you know I think you know you definitely sort of played uh, premiership football yeah without a shadow shadow of a doubt and as you know yourself he's he's a great lad with it you know one of the one of the nicest lads you you, you could ever meet yeah. you know so for him to that to get that injury when he did was 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 heartbreaking and and everyone felt it did you play that game I, no I wasn't I wasn't no. playing that game I'm, I'm not sure why um, you know sometimes you, you played reserve team football sometimes you didn't yeah. I don't think it was any if you didn't play in the reserves one week it, it didn't really bother you that much because it was just the way you know things were at times because all of a sudden you know somebody maybe needed, might have needed a game to get back to fitness and you know young players just didn't play so at that occasion no I, I didn't play that night when did Sir Alex first call you in and tell you firstly that you were getting um, a professional contract and secondly for your debut because they were quite close together weren't they? I actually think um, I had made my debut before I even signed the professional contract because it was just after um, after New Year um, back in '93, so I was I was still only seventeen and you know looking back that is that's a sort of surreal thing for me because. You know, eighteen months previous to that, I was I was still at school. Mm-hmm. You know, and here I am going to make my debut for Man United. Um, and I'd been in and around the first team squad, and I hadn't got changed. You know, this, this is at a time where I think Sir Alex liked to have the young players in the squad at times, just to give them that experience of being in the the, the environment of of the first team. And um, so I'd I'd, be, I'd travelled away a few times, but never never got changed. And then all of a sudden. 
it was a Tuesday night. We're playing Berry in the FA Cup, and I'd gone to the ground for pre-match. You know, it was at Old Trafford, and I just thought again, it was um, I was going to be in the squad for a bit of experience, and, and I knew there was a doubt that Giggsy might not be fit. So um, I was sitting, and, and Paul Parker was opposite me. We were having some pre-match, and the manager's walking past, and he said, and he actually says to the manager, "Is Giggsy fit?" And the manager said no and turned around and pointed at me and went, sure, he can play. <laughs> and that was his that's way of... That's you find te- out. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that's God's honest truth. That was his way of, of telling me I was making the debut for, for Man United, which was, was absolutely crazy. And, you know, I remember, you know, the game went great. I put a cross in early on. Mike Phelan scored and then I scored the second about 10 minutes to go. So the, the, the not debut... About, not about debut, is it? <laughs> yeah, I mean... The, couldn't have gone better but the thing about it was there was no mobile phones at, at that time or anything so you're, you're getting back to digs and you're and you're ringing home and and they've no idea that i've made my debut for for man united you know which is crazy now you know to actually look back and think that i've made my debut that night for the club with the support the club that my dad supports and, and my family didn't even know about it yeah it's mad so you had no time obviously to phone them like it wasn't like the night before it was pre-match so you didn't couldn't give them any notice to come over no exactly well they they knew that i was in the squad and they knew that i'd been in squads but yeah as i said before that i'd been in squads and not actually got mm-hmm. got changed so because it was sort of third round of the FA Cup, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, a big big game in, in terms of because you know disrespect we're, we're we're playing Barry, you know, we're not playing against another Premiership side in, in the FA Cup, so it wasn't. It was just something that you know that wasn't televised or on the radio or anything like that. There, so they they never they never knew that it. I'd, and everyone's a bit quicker now with things you know you can go straight on the Google look at the teams yeah. whatever you know back then you know you couldn't really do that say, no, no, exactly <laughs> teletext you know and I think you, all, you go on teletext you're not going to get to actually the team names or whatever who's, yeah. who's actually playing so yeah, it was crazy ringing, ringing up to let them know that I made my debut and actually scored that night as well oh, What happened between that game to then later in the year heading out on loan to Wigan. Yeah, um, that was just on that. Sir Alex Ferguson wanted us to to go out and get first team experience and and playing against you know proper men in, in a real hard division. You know, Wigan were in the the bottom division at this that time. They played at Springfield Park. It wasn't even the the JJB, so it was a real eye opener. Uh, remember. My uh, my debut, I went and played away at uh, Doncaster. Doncaster's old ground. It was called Bell Bellevue. Bellevue, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. I remember. I remember one it's of the biggest the, pitch uh, ever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we got we got hammered three one. And I remember uh, after about five minutes, the big centre half actually doing his crew shoot, you know, and, and such a bad tackle from it from a lad, and and he never played again, um, you know, so. Um, you're sort of playing against people here, and you know, being a sort of being somebody sort of quick and quite nippy. You know, you've got these, you know, big guys wanting to just uh, kick absolute uh, lump, lumps out of you. So I stayed for for two months and did pretty well. Scored four goals in eight games. And uh, Kenny Swain was the manager who who had won a European Cup with Aston Villa. So he had a, a bit about him, but you know that was just the, the the experience side for me. You know, we know David Beckham went out to Preston as well. I think it was easier for for the legs of me to be to be sent out uh, because 
in terms of the Euro- European football as well. I was a foreigner. You could only have so many, I think it was three foreigners and, and they call them two assimilated players, which I don't know what criteria it was for to be an assimilated player, but being from, from Northern Ireland, I was a foreigner. And when you've got a first team squad of Smeichel and Dennis Irwin, Sparky, Keeney, Keeney yeah. Eric, Andre, there's six I've mentioned already there. You bring other people in, like Clayton's a, Clayton Blackmore, seven, Brian McClare, eight. You know, you could only have three of those playing in, in, in Europe. So it was easier for me to be sort of sent out on, on loan because I wasn't going to be a part of, of, you know, the European side of things. Did you enjoy it? I did. I, I did. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, a culture shock for you as well at times because you, you know, where you're training and, you know they're they're giving you your kit and you're having to take your kit home and I'm having I'm having to get my uh, my landlady to to wash to wash my kit for me <laughs> for the next day and stuff and you know you, you sort of it makes you realise how lucky you are to be at a club like Man United where you, everything's done for you. It was very beneficial, I think, in terms of what I wanted to go on and do then because you're thinking, well, I don't want to be playing in this league. You know, I want to be playing at as high a level as I can here. This league, you know, you're going to get you know absolutely kicked lumps. Was it was it solely just was it solely just for experience, Keith? Or was there any chance or any inkling that it could have been a permanent move? Or oh no, 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 because um, they they asked they asked could they take me for the third month, um, and Sir Alex wanted me back then. Yeah, yeah, you know. So yeah, but I I, I knew anyway because he told me that uh, when I was going. That um, you know, he, he just wanted it's to get me experience. That, that experience of, as I say, you're only sort of. I turned eighteen then, so still, um, still a young lad. Uh, but obviously, playing in a in a league where it's it's very competitive, you know, because you, reserve team football, you know, isn't as as competitive at times because you know what it's like yourself if you're playing against a team and you know there may be some big names in it, but they're a bit annoyed. Because yeah. they don't want they don't want to be there, um, yeah. and that's that's one thing that you, you, you couldn't have with with Man United uh, because Sir Alex Ferguson or whoever would have been there watching, and if they seen a senior player and he wasn't putting it in in a reserve team game, oh they 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 would be down at halftime and and give them absolute pelters. So you yeah. knew you knew that um, with Man United because the standards were so high that if you were you know, dropped and you were asked to play in the reserve team, you know, you still had to put that in. Whereas other clubs that I played against in reserve team football and you've seen these first teamers who, who dropped down the reserve team level. But and just asked. Yeah, not arsed, not, not, put, not putting it in. Yeah. Well, and you, you, couldn't, you couldn't do that at United. Whenever you were in that um, dressing room, obviously you'd made the jump up to the first team pretty quickly. Who kind of put their arm around you and looked after you at that time out of the senior pros? Do, do, do you know, um, in terms of like going into the first team sort of environment, you know, at the training ground, we were still, you know, because we'd be back and forward into the first team squad. So we were all still um, getting, cha- getting changed in the reserve team changing room. So it wasn't really that we were involved that much. You know, you train with them every day, but... It's a bit different when you're actually in the dressing room and you're in and about, you know, having the banter. It's, you know, maybe yeah, yeah. would it would have been there then? You know, it's a bit a bit different. We're still in our own sort of environment, which I think we were happy 
to be in that mm. environment because we'd we'd all come we, we, yeah we co- were comfortable and you'd come through it together and I mean I, I would have been you know a, a sort of shy quiet one anyway in the dressing room back then <laughs> Maisie's giving me that look there um, <laughs> and notice the way you I, said back then you had to change it yeah. back, back then well I'm, I'm definitely not as, as loud as what he is like without a shadow of a doubt but <laughs> I think that's that's pretty obvious would it be Jim Ryan or would it be Kiddo or whatever it was who'd just come down and say Keith Ben Nicky Skulls are you over the first team today and that'd be it yeah that'd be it yeah normally be like Kiddo Kiddo yeah. would have been normally the one you know, you're yeah. with us today or whatever. You know, some days you you, you still train with reserves, but yeah. you know, looking back, I think a lot of a lot of things that sort of happened at United was it was very much to do with, with the character building of things. And I, I spoke about this with Ben recently, and he, he said about we played in an A team game and we played against Tranmere, and I think we'd won five two, and I scored two and set up two, and I came into the dressing room afterwards, and I, uh, Eric went absolutely through me. <laughs> And you're sort of thinking, why? And Ben says to me now, he says, it was just your week. That that, that was his, yeah. what it was. And it was just, you know, there's, there's been plenty of times where, you know, you've, you've come in at halftime or after a game with the A-team and, you know, Eric was a scary character as well. He's brilliant, but a scary character. And, and you're waiting for him to have a go at you because you, you, you've played that badly. And he said absolutely nothing. But then you've had a good game and he's gone absolutely through you. And Mind games. Well, you know, look at looking back, it does make sense. You know, it's yeah. It is all to do with sort of character building. Who were you closest to in the squad at that time? Um, well, I, w- I would have been close to to Rob Savage, um, you know, as a, as an apprentice. But then with um, with in in the in the sort of reserve team dressing room, you know, you had. Colin Murdoch, you had Colin McKee. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd have been close with sort of Gary Neville, myself, Gary, John O'Kee and Chris Casper and and David Beck. And we would have went to um, Salford Snooker quite a bit and played a bit of snooker because, you know, there's not an awful lot to do. Mm. There's even times where on, a, on an evening, we used to come down to the, the cliff, you know, because there was all sort of training going on and Eric would have been there. And we'd, we'd actually joined in and, and, and trained in the evenings as well. Because just because we needed something to do, yeah. you know, when you're in digs, it's it's, it's very tough. And you, know, you you look at Gary, Ben, uh, Scalzi, Nicky, you know, they're all local lads living at home. Yeah, and, totally different experience. Yeah, nothing pretty much changes for them because mm-hmm. they're going home every night. You know, we're going home to digs, and it's 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 very difficult. So you you need to find something, you know, especially in the evenings that you're going to do. Yeah, because I say forty forty six point seventy five, it doesn't get you very far each week. So who won the snooker? Who's the best? Well, it used to be a lot of times. It used to be me and John O'Kane against mainly Gary, Gary and and David Beckham or Gary and, and Chris Casper. But we are me and John O'Kane always had to give them a bit of a head start, like mm. tw- twenty up, 20, twenty start, <laughs> yeah, twenty start. <laughs> so I think we, we'd have been the best, but they'd have still beat us a few times. And, we used to play for a few a few quid even back then. Well, what was Gaz like? Gaz would have been boring, would he? Just Gaz, Gaz defensive was, all the time. Yeah. Snookers. He, he, was, he, was, he was crap. You, you, could, you could imagine him. You'd be like, ah, whoa, Casp, Casp, Casp. Just snooker him, snooker the cl- him. The Cliff, the cliff Thorburn. He was Cliff Thorburn. Or Eddie Charlton. Uh, 
But uh, he, was, he wasn't the best. He wasn't the best at snooker, guys. Definitely not. But the two of them weren't great. But yeah, they used to flip and just flip balls for fun, which was quite great. <laughs> but um, I'd say it was, it was, yeah, exactly. It was, it was a good laugh. You know, we became, you know, quite close because of that, and because we're yeah. involved in the team, and just outside, you know, you want to, you, know, you 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 can have a relationship with players and just in a dressing room, and then you go home. But because we had grown up from a young age, and then we're all progressing at the same sort of speed. You know, mm. it's it's nice that you you carry on with that mm-hmm. relationship outside of outside of football. Mm-hmm. But the world's changed a lot in terms of the tabloids and now social media and stuff. But at that point, there's such a big group of you that are, that have won the FA Youth Cup. You're in and around the first team. You're playing for Manchester United, and as I said, there's a big group of you. Did you feel recognised or were you celebrated when you walked around the streets when you went and played snooker or was it just did you feel like life was probably apart from being involved in Manchester United much like any other 17 year old yeah you, you know we weren't we weren't that sort of recognised you know I, th- I think down at um, Salford Snooker where they, where they got recognised a bit uh, because with, with it being a, a sort of open thing where people would come and watch training at the cliff all the time mm-hmm. and stuff, you know, people would see you about the training ground, that that sort of way. But um, we hadn't really done anything as far as first team, although we'd all sort of played a, a few games here and there. Um, you know, we weren't sort of household names, regulars or what mm-hmm. have you. So, you know, we could just get on with things as a, as a sort of 17, 17, 18 year old. It was sort of that, that season after where we started making more moves and, and you know, people started sitting up and taking notice of us, you know, especially when the, the manager put out the, the team in, in the League Cup, whatever it was called then. You know, it's changed his name that, name that many times. But <laughs> yeah. we, we, we we played Port Vale away and it was a two-legged thing going to Port Vale. You know, Port Vale fans are expecting to see all these big names and then he rolls out the young kids and, and they weren't too happy about this. But we ended up beating them. So, so you can't um, you can't argue with... with you know what Sir Alex Ferguson did, and then we we beat them at home. And I scored in that game in the home game. <laughs> yeah, two 0 two 0 scored a header. Yeah, you might have took the corner actually. I might have been backs. I I remember actually coming off after about sixty minutes, and I'd done okay, nothing great, and uh, I was a bit disappointed to be brought off. But as as I walked off, the manager says to me, "You're playing on Saturday." Uh, we were playing, and I, I was actually making my league debut then on the Saturday away yeah. at she- Sheffield Wednesday. So from being sort of disappointed when your number gets put up to walking off the manager goes you're playing on Saturday so yeah, was, you're walking uh, down the touchline giving it that come on <laughs> yes happy days another another win another win bonus <laughs> for a pie <laughs> for, the, for the bookies <laughs> yeah what was your relationship with Sir Alex like no it was um it was great. Um, you know, as long as you kept on the right side of him. I, I only actually had one problem uh, one time. It's, it's absolutely crazy how it happened because being in the round, the first team squad this particular weekend, I wasn't in the first team squad. And I think we were playing Liverpool on the Saturday. So I knew on the Friday I wasn't in the squad. So I went out that Friday night. You know, I'm, I'm 19 now. Went out the Friday night, some friends over from Northern Ireland. And I ended up, it was about half two in the morning. They were my friends were staying at the Castlefield Hotel. So ended up back in the Castlefield Hotel, ordered a couple of bottles of Budweiser, and you're walking around to where the, the sort of sofas are. And I must have got about ten yards as I walked around the corner from the sofa and I seen Sir Alex Ferguson sitting on, on the sofa. Oh, what was he doing there? I, I I have no idea. 
I've no idea. Because the, the team weren't staying there, were they? No, exactly. <laughs> I've honestly no idea. But um, <laughs> how's your luck? But I mean, I was sort of stood like that and I sort of stared at him. And I don't even know why I did it. I just turned and legged it. <laughs> honestly. Because <laughs> he was just staring at me and I was like, oh, what do I do? So I turned and legged it. And um, I never seen him the next day. And then on the Monday, I was at the ground, or at the training ground, and I was sat downstairs, and I knew I was going to get called up to the office. And um, a kiddo comes down, he goes, the manager wants to see you. So <laughs> went, up, went up the stairs and went in, and he said, sit down. And then all he said to me was, uh, one week's wages for telling the truth, two weeks wages for lying. And I said, look, boss, they weren't my drinks. So we were friends. And he went, two, two weeks' wages. Two weeks' wages. <laughs> and and that, that is, of course, goes on its truth. If you actually, if you actually uh, read his book, he, uh, he actually says about, I had to find a young player. He doesn't actually mention me, but that was me, you know. But <laughs> how, how, how is your luck? Where did you run to, Keith? I just ran out of the hotel. It's... You know, we're talking. Did you finish your biz? I was just going to say. <laughs> I, you know, it, I, I mean, that's something I can't even remember. But I just completely. It's not like you not to finish your biz. That must have been uh, a scary moment, just standing there and he's watching I, you. I, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy to actually think that. You know, how how is your luck that the manager? Oh, luck? Yeah. You know, the size of Manchester, the hotels in Manchester, and he happens to be in at that time. And I'm like, oh. what? What was he doing up at half past two in the morning? I don't know. He was with other people. There was a few guys, or whatever. I don't know. I've no That's idea. That's what you should have said. You should have threw it at him <laughs> there and then. <laughs> what are you uh, doing yeah. there, Gaffer? I think I might have flipped and got more than two weeks if that was the case. <laughs> yeah. Well, what were you doing there, <laughs> Keith? You you obviously came back from Wigan. You played a few times in '94, '95. You got a new teammate in David May. But at the end of the season, you left and went to Newcastle. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Whose idea was it? What happened? Well, it, I mean, it actually happened um, in the January, early January, 95. And I, I was more and more involved with the first team. And I remember, actually, we played Coventry at, at Old Trafford just after New Year. Um, and I played. And then the following game was away at Sheffield United. Andre was, you know, about the first team then, obviously, in playing and he was he was as good as anybody that season for the first yeah. six months. And I, I played more than I thought I would. We went away to Sheffield United. Andre actually had flu that night. And um, I thought, I played the previous game, I thought there's there's, there's a chance I'll play again here. So the, the team got announced, the subs were announced, and I wasn't involved. So the manager pulled me aside. And, and as I mentioned before, that European rule where I was a, I was a foreigner, they were desperate to get an English striker in. And the manager says, look, uh, we're in for this striker at Newcastle, but the only way the deal is going to happen is if if you go the other way. He says, watch the match, have a think about it, and then you know, come to me afterwards. So I remember I was actually sat beside Ben watching the game. We were up in the director's box and and I couldn't I couldn't tell Ben anything, but I was sort of just probing him. And I've, I, I brought the, su- the, the subject round to, to Newcastle, you know, and he's gone, yeah, a big club. And I remember Newcastle, because the previous season when they just got back to the to the Premiership, I remember them coming to Old Trafford and being at the game and seeing their fans. I think everybody knows how passionate and mad the fans yeah. are. And I remember seeing them at Old Trafford and I'd never, no knowledge really about Newcastle. I, you know, I was really impressed by them. So I'd, Ben, Ben had sort of, Bigged them up a bit as well, so I went to the manager afterwards and said, "Yep, I'm happy enough to uh, 
you know, to go and speak to them. And I spoke to, I spoke to Brucey, um, I spoke to Chucky, I spoke to Brian Robson, and they said, it, you know, it was a great opportunity for me. You know, if, if, if I'd have said no, that you know, the whole deal was off. You know, Andy Cole would, would never have ended up at Man United. That was w- what I mean when I say, you know, there was no pressure on me. Alex Ferguson wasn't saying, look, you have to go. You know, it was just, I just thought that it was a chance for me to get regular first team football at Newcastle. You know, a, a big club under you know a big manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we we then headed off to um, to the hotel in Sheffield while the rest of the players went home. It was it was the game where do you remember when Eric chipped the, chipped the uh, keeper yeah. at Sheffield and then just stood there with the collars up just looking. <laughs> that 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 was the actual game. Um, so we won the game two 0 So he was so. Uh, sorry, the boys were away on the coach back to. Um, like the Manchester and myself and, and Sir Alex were away to a hotel to meet up with, with Kevin Keegan, um, the chairman and, and the chief executive of Newcastle. So, can you remember actually your car journey going over to the uh, to the hotel? What was the discussions like? Was it like you know, did the gaffer do your contract or? Well, that, that, that's what it was because he says as soon as we get there, you know, because again, no mobile phones. He says, yeah. you know, we'll ring your mum, explain the situation. So we we got to the hotel, got on the the hotel phone. About midnight, we rang home. My mum's answered, and I've explained the situation. And then the managers come on the phone and said, "Look, I, he, obviously, I didn't have an, an agent or anything." He says, "Look, is it okay if I do the deal and, and act as his agent?" Pretty much, and she was happy enough for that. Um, so I remember then um, the manager said to me, "When we go in here, he says, don't say a word.'" And previous to that, I spoke to Kevin Keegan for honestly thirty seconds, and, and he sold the club to me in thirty seconds. You know, he's he's incredible character and mm-hmm. uh, very very enthusiastic he just explained what his vision was for for Newcastle and you know he, he had it sold to me so I remember going in and I said before about we were on 230 pound a week that, that that contract we signed 230 pound a week was going up to 250 pound a week the next year yeah. to, to 270 290 you know, obviously we hope that It'd be ripped up in no time. Yeah. It'd be on a bigger contract, uh, which is which is what happened with a lot of them. But again, I was on that two hundred and thirty or two hundred and fifty pound a week, and I remember sitting at a table, a big round table. Sir Alex Keegan, Freddie Shepherd, the chairman, Freddie Fletcher, chief executive, and myself. And and I was sort of you know sat with my sort of head down, and and I remember Sir Alex going, "Well, Keith's on six hundred pound a week at the minute. We want you to." Do- <laughs> We want you to double it to twelve hundred. And as I sort of looked up when he said six hundred, you know, there was there was there was this sort of look from him as if to say, "Don't you say a word here." Um, and, and Newcastle agreed to, agreed it straight away. So again, I'm sure uh, Ladbrokes benefited out of that as soon as I got up there. <laughs> was it emotional for you leaving? I know that. Kevin Keegan has sold the club to you and Sir Alex was happy for you to go. But as a Man United fan your whole life, your family being Man United fans, there must have been some sort of disappointment. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, as I said before, I was I was going to, to Bramall Lane that night expecting to play. Yeah. Yeah. You know, within, within a matter of hours, I'd agreed to leave the club. And it, it's, it's crazy looking back how, how things can just, mm-hmm. you know, happen just like that in football. Uh, but coming through that that youth team that everybody still talks about, you know, the class of '92 and, and stuff, you know, and and becoming a real close sort of net mm. uh, with those sort of players was, was disappointing. I remember going in the following day and 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 saying goodbye to everyone uh, at, the, at the training ground, and 
you know, it was, um, it was like hard. Was it emotional? Yeah, it it, it definitely was. It definitely was. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, again, I mean, I'm I'm still, you know, you're 19 years of age, and you know, I've just been involved in in the biggest transfer in British history at this stage because you know, obviously, Coley coming was mm. I think seven million quid, six six million plus yeah. me. So it was um, it was big big news. Uh, but I just felt then that with with Andre being you know probably United's player of the season that year he was as good as anyone I needed to get the regular first team football so you did the deal on the Wednesday no the Tuesday Tuesday you went back to see the lads on the Wednesday to say see you I went to pick my boots and all that up yeah. the training ground on the Wednesday and I travelled up the Wednesday afternoon to Newcastle train Thursday Friday play Saturday no I didn't I didn't um, I didn't train Thursday because there was there was so in the bookies <laughs> there was so much so much going on at Newcastle because because it was such a big thing that they'd sold Andy Cole who was their oh, main yeah, man yeah. And, and everything so I, di- I didn't train and the weird thing was that the following game was Newcastle v Man United on the Sunday so they agreed that myself and Coley wouldn't play mm-hmm. you know it's weird how coincidences happen yeah, in football yeah. would you have wanted to play? it, it, it would have been really strange you know, your first game, you know, away from the club that you supported against them. You know, I'm not sure how that would have been. Um, yeah. would have been would have been very uh, very, very strange. But I remember um on the Friday I actually I went home to do a, a TV show then. Helen probably knows the show Cat the Kelly show. Jerry Kelly or, show. On, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went home to I went home to Friday do that night. on Friday on a Friday night, yeah. And then I came back and trained on the Saturday. And then I was at the game on the Sunday. I remember um, the game was one each. I think uh, Sparky scored. You know, because there was a whole talk that Andy Cole was coming in to replace Sparky. And then Sparky scored that game. And and then we equalised. And I remember being, I was actually on the bench watching the game. And I remember actually jumping off the bench cheering. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which, which which was was strange, you know, even then. But I think it's it's easy I didn't think it would be as easy as that to sort of convert when you go from a club to, you know, especially a club yeah. you support. But you're now your obligations are, are very much different to what mm-hmm. they were, and now you're obligated to, to Newcastle. So I remember jumping off the bench cheering when when we equalised. But um, that was uh, it was definitely definitely very strange. And I mean, six months after I left the club, Andre left the club, and Sir Alex rang me to ask me to come back. I was sat at home in pre-season, and I kept. I keep going back to it. No mobile phones, uh, mm-hmm. but you have the caller ID on your on your home phone, and this old one six one number kept coming up, and I wouldn't answer. Uh, you, you know, a, a number that I didn't recognise, and you know, you've got your answering machine, and it click clicks on one day, and all of a sudden, it's the manager, and he starts speaking. So I grabbed the phone, and um, he says about coming back, um, and he says. Um, he would uh, speak to Kevin Keegan and put a bid in, and the uh, the only way I knew about the, them putting the bid in was because, uh, or how much the bid was, was because Gary Neville told me, uh, because Peter Beardsley and, and Kevin Keegan were close, and, and Gary was with uh, Peter Beardsley on England. international with England, and and they bid four million for me, and, and Newcastle turned it down. So that was sort of six months after after I'd left the club. So it it could have been different because then what happened? Uh, Beckham moved to right wing because it. David Beckham's position was centre midfield, you know, because Beckham wouldn't have been a like a 
a normal winger. We know uh, how good he was at putting the ball in, but he wasn't sort of one to sort of be dribbling and, and, and beating players. His big strength was obviously his crossing ability. What was, what was your thought on that, Keith, then, when, when obviously the gaff was ringing you, so you want, want you to come back? Well, I, what, I, what was your feeling? Because obviously you've gone up there, you've settled in, you're playing well, you're playing week in, week out. Did you actually think at one point, do you know what, I'm all right here, or yeah, well, I want to go back? That, I mean, the thing about it is... You, you don't turn Alex Ferguson down. No. You know, that's the whole thing about it. And, you know, as I said about Newcastle not coming to me and telling me about it, you know, you get plenty of players who would go and not be knocking on the manager's door. That that wasn't the way I would I would do things. I would very rarely knock on the manager's door. And it just so happened then that, you know, we signed Alexa Ginola, we signed Les Ferdinand. Yeah. You know, and we, and we started, you know, we were, we were a decent side then. Um, so I wouldn't have changed anything because that sort of season was, was something probably the best season that, that I had how did, you, how did your conversation end then with, with the gaffer he just says that um, I'll, I'll speak to um, Kevin Keegan and um, we'll see what way it goes uh, but then that was the last I heard from him because they obviously put the bid in they turned it down you know because Kevin Keegan had said that if he didn't get me then the, the whole Andy Cole deal was off yeah, yeah. so now he he was probably thinking as well that, well, Sir Alex Ferguson is getting what he wanted here, you know, mm. with getting me back as well. So, but as I say, that '95 season, then uh, '95 '96 season was 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 great to be a part of in terms of what we did at Newcastle because of uh, you know the style of football that we played that year. Mm. There can't be many players, Keith, that Sir Alex agrees they can leave and then he tries to buy back. <laughs> Especially in six months. Yeah. It can't be many. No. A small handful. Do you know, I remember the, the phone call um, happening and what, what he said to me. And it said, because Andre had left, he says he was having a chat with Kiddo. You know, they're thinking about a right-sided player. And Kiddo said, what about me? And uh, the manager went, I'd never even thought. So then he was straight on the phone to me and that's that's how it happened. But I think as, as Sir Alex Ferguson has, has always said, that um, if I wasn't from Northern Ireland, he wouldn't have let me go. Mm. It just so happened that, that that next season, the rule changed as well, mm-hmm. you know, because I was, a, I was a foreigner. That was, a, you know, out of, out of the, eight, the eight players that signed the professional contract from that 92 squad, Seven were English, and then there was me from from Northern mm. Ireland. So that was a big reason in in, wh- in why he let me go, and obviously because he needed to get an English striker in. And, and at that time, Andy Cole was the best about. You do know that your wages are going back to about two hundred ninety <laughs> quid a week. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to bring you back, Keith, and you're on twelve hundred quid. But now we're going to drop it back to six hundred that you was originally going to be on. And you would have went, okay, contract. yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay, oh, I'd, I'd have taken, I'd have taken that no bother. But um, as, 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 you know, as I say, you're never ever going to turn Alex Ferguson down when he comes calling, especially. You know the club that you've supported all your life, you know. So yeah, it was uh, it was just one of those things. Her, her Kevin Keegan didn't tell me about it, but I I, I don't blame him for not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that they were obligated to do. No. no, you had a lot of highs at Newcastle. Do you think the biggest one would have been if you'd been able to play in the FA Cup final? Oh yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I played I played every game, and then three weeks before um, the final, I got injured at. Um, a white hard man and I know I'd have definitely played in the final as well because um, 
we ended up we had to play Warren, Warren Barton right wing who was obviously a right back what, what, what did you do at Spurs? I was do you know remember at White Hart Lane the, uh, the edge of the pit so it went down onto the yeah the, the, the track like, the yeah. track yeah I was in midair um, trying to keep a ball in and I got nudged as in midair by Colin Calderwood and I've landed on that bit which goes down yeah. onto the track so I've got carried off. I had a I had an X-ray at, at Tottenham. They had an X-ray machine. So you you've done your ankle, like it, it was a broken bone, metallic bone, right? Which it's a really it's a really bad bone to break because you know I'll, I'll come back to to why. Um, but I, I I never I had the, I had the X-ray and everything, and it came back and it was fine. But I was uh, it was two days before the cup final. We were down in London um, and. I was trying to get fit and I remember having a fitness test. I had it and the first thing I did in the fitness test was have a block tackle. Oh, and that was it. That was it. I just knew no chance whatsoever. So it was um it was really disappointing. You know, you've played in, in every round, um, and then all of a sudden you don't get to play in, in, in the biggest game of of, mm. of my life then really. Um so I came back for pre-season in, in in July, and I was still having problems with my ankle or with my foot, and I was doing sort of pre-season that, but it, it was still really really sore. And I was in the last year of my contract, and and Kenny Daglish was the manager, and the club had offered me a new four-year contract, and I, I, I turned it down. I was just looking for better better terms, but in the meantime, Robbo came in for me at Middlesbrough, so the club agreed to sell me to Middlesbrough for for three and a half million. And what happened then was that uh, Newcastle were playing in a, in a pre-season tournament down at, at the Riverside. Um, and I remember um, seeing Kenny Daglish on Sky asking about me um, and him having no clue about it. The board were trying to sell me behind Kenny's back. But because of this problem was happening in the angle, I went down, spoke to, to, to Brian Robson and, and Viv was his assistant. Everything was agreed. I had the medical and then I got a phone call the following night to say that I'd failed the medical because I had a broken bone. It was Matilda's bone, and uh, it only showed up in an MRI scan. It, it never showed up in the X-ray that I had. So I had been sort of trying to train this whole time with a broken bone in my foot and just really struggling with it. So when I came back to, to Newcastle, I phoned Kenny and said, the bad news, I failed the medical. And he says, you know, it's not bad news for me. You're still in my plans. And he, he was absolutely brilliant about it. But I still had to get fit then. And, and Newcastle were very sneaky about it. They'd offered me a new four-year contract. They then put out in the press that my career was in serious doubt and that I might never play again and offered me a new one-year contract. You know, So looking back at it, you're sort of thinking it, it's absolutely scandalous what they did because you know that, that's my livelihood and, and prospective yeah. buyers coming in. You know, so... I knew then that I would never be signed again because I wasn't going to be signed a one-year contract. The physios had said, look, there's no problem. Your injury will heal and you'll get back playing again. And I did get back playing and uh, Ruth Hullard had come in then. And, but then I only had six months left in my contract. Um, and then Kiddo came in for me at Blackburn and, and, and I went for Blackburn, went to Blackburn then. So it was um yeah it was it was a tough time you know going back to to missing the cup final you know but you know fortunately I, I mean I only ever played one cup final that was the um the Worthington Cup final um, a few years later at Blackburn and, and we ended up winning that so it was mm-hmm. you know it's like like it's always nice to to go to 
you know, because I was there in and around that that dressing room when we lost that cup final to Arsenal. Now I was part of the side and played when when we won at the Millennium against Spurs for Blackburn. So it was nice to to actually again get to a cup final. What was your time at Blackburn like? Did you enjoy it? I did. You know, amazing, I'll tell you, fantastic club. Yeah. You know, so well run, and you know, at the time, you know, fantastic owners in, in in the Walker family. Jack Walker, you know, was a Blackburn fan and. You, you look at owners nowadays and, you know, the problems that the likes of Newcastle have had, you know, when I went to Newcastle, they had Sir John Hall, um, who was, again, Newcastle fans and whatever Kevin Keegan wanted, Kevin Keegan got. Sir Jack Walker, you know, what he did at, at Blackburn was was absolutely incredible. Um, I know he obviously got the money behind him and was able to go out and spend big, but even still, I, I loved it at the, at the club. Um, you know, I was disappointed that, you know, because Kiddo was the one who brought me there. Kiddo, when I signed for Blackburn, we were bottom of the league. We ended up finishing third bottom and got relegated. The next season didn't start too well and, and Kiddo got sacked. So that was a disappointing thing for me. Um, we had Graham Soonis to come in then, who, who was a strange character who made... It made things difficult for me for for what reason I don't know. I, you know, somebody even sent me recently there. You know, a quote from his book that it, that he actually says he made things difficult for me, and he and he doesn't know why. And he's actually wrote that in his book. Okay. You know, he's a sort of guy. And I never even knew this. This is only maybe in the last sort of six weeks I got sent this. Oh my uh, And he he was a sort of guy that you walk past in in the in the morning at you know. Maybe you'll know Brock all when you're walking mm. into it, and he'd be walking, you know, coming towards you, and he wouldn't even say good morning to you, you know, just just stuff like that. And and for what reason again? As I say, I don't know. Um, or he just didn't say good morning to you. I mean, <laughs> he was saying it to everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was just he was just. You didn't give him a bad tip, someone, did you? <laughs> no, flip. I wish I had it. Um, <laughs> no, he. Um, he was he was just a strange character, and he just sort of banished me. And I was training with the reserves and everything. And then he sent me out and loaned to Wigan. You know, Wigan were now playing at uh, DW. DW. They're playing there, so I went there. I came back, and I remember I hadn't featured at all for about four or five months for the first team, or even training with him. And he, he called me in, and we used to train on a Sunday morning because. That's what the boys wanted to do. They wanted to do their warm down on a Sunday so that then they, they would have Monday off. Um, so we come in on the Sunday and because the first team are in, everyone else needs to be in, <laughs> that sort of thing. So I remember calling me in one one day, it was in February, and uh, one morning on the Sunday, he says, you're playing on Tuesday night. And I was like, I was a little bit taken aback. He says, you're playing Tuesday night, Derby. And I says, I can't. I says, uh, I'm cup tight. It was the FA Cup. He didn't even know I was cup tight. But I played the following Saturday. I played the rest of the season and we got promoted back to the Premiership. And what reason he had for just all of a sudden putting me back in, I've got no idea whatsoever. Uh, but then I became a, a sort of regular with them again when we got back to the Premiership. But for five, six months. Just frozen out. You know, it was, it was a bit of a nightmare. He was in the wilderness. Yeah. You know, because as I said, with him to actually write that in his book that he doesn't know why he gave me a hard time or didn't speak to me or whatever. That's mad, isn't it? It still makes no sense to me. No. It's really weird. Uh, so skipping ahead a bit now, in 2010, you were declared bankrupt, but while still playing. Mm. That must have been such a difficult time and such a difficult thing to do. And I know you've spoken a lot since about how you 
you think how important mental health is for football players and how much support they need and should be getting. Do you feel you got that support at that time when surely things were very hard? Uh, prob- probably not. You know, I, I mean, I obviously lost a lot of money gambling. You know, I even had a financial advisor who stole sort of 500 grand on me as well. I got involved in a, in a, in a film scheme thing, which a lot of players, footballers got involved yeah. in. You know, so you sort of do these things at, at times and you, you get advice, and especially with the film scheme, you know, you think it's good advice, but inevitably it uh, it isn't because in terms of that scheme, I think it's from year five, it's a 15-year thing. From year five to year 15, you're paying back the tax that you've been given, but you've got to then realize that as you're getting older, your wages are going to go like that there. So then you're mm-hmm. going to struggle to pay that back. Um, so that's pretty much how it all came about. And I think I think the mental health side of things, um, it's, it, it's, it probably wasn't a, you know that type of topic back in 2010, maybe a few years after that, where it became you know a topic that people were sort of you know becoming more aware about and talking about and, and certainly today you know more comfortable it, 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 talking it, about i suppose as well yes exactly and i think i think as 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 men we're we're a little bit different to women because you know we we do keep things in there's a macho thing in there really but you there don't is. want to tell tell your mates and yeah exactly you know you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've actually even read that book, and it, it, there's so much that is truth true. Is is truth in that? You know, in terms of the difference between, you know, the two sexes. But um, you know, it, the, the macho thing is something there where you, you know, you do keep a lot of things in, and I think now, as as we say, it is something that people want to talk about and, and make make you aware of because of stuff that's happened, and you. Only, you know, you only have to look at somebody like Gary Speed, who I played with mm. um, at Newcastle and Sheffield United. And, you know, Speedo was was an absolutely brilliant character to have. And you know, I had no idea, you know, behind the scenes. So, it, no. you know, what was going on. Um, so I think it is very important that, that the message is out there now. You know, it, you know it's, it's, it's good to it's talk. A, it's, it's good to talk. That's what I was trying to trying to mm. remember what it was you know it, it is important because there is you know everybody thinks you know about a footballer's lifestyle all this glamorous all this big money and all but there is there is people who you know everybody's made in different ways and people have different thoughts in their head and what have you you know so there it, it is important to sort of have that message out there it's important to have the, the right people around you um, and the right support uh, because you know, as I say, it is. Um, you know, it's only just recently a, a young lad actually in, in the Irish league over here, um, only twenty three, twenty four, mm-hmm. took his own life as well, um, which is absolutely horrendous. Oh, yeah. You know, and and it is it is something that you hear that you're hearing about only too often now. Remember going back to the time when you it was all in the press and everything. So it's not not news to anybody, but was it sixty seven grand you lost in a day? Six sixty two. No, sixty-two in um, in two days, but because um, I, I remember, you, I remember you forty-seven in a day. Yeah, I remember you saying that when we've been away, you were winning. Yeah, I mean, again, this is uh, I, I backed Newcastle, um, and I'm playing in the game, um, and again, we're going back. This was 1995, and it's 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 strange even the coincidences because it was I even know the date. It was the 27th of October 1995. 
And my daughter was born the 27th, my first daughter was born the 27th of October, you know, another sort of coincidence there, you know, 12 years later. But I'd been getting into the bookies um, sort of, you know, from when I moved up there. And um, Was that a boredom thing? Sorry, Keith. Yeah. Yeah. It started kind of like that. Yeah, because when I, when I moved to Newcastle, five, the first five months I was living in a hotel. And, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, it's like you finish training at 12, half 12, and the rest of the day is your own. The rest of the players have got wives, families, kids, yeah. go home to. I'm going back to an empty hotel room. So my afternoons were always in the bookies. Mm-hmm. And I'd met this guy, he was a big Newcastle fan in the bookies. And he told me this is 95, 96 season, um, you know, 2 0, 2 1, 3 0, and 3 1 were, were our most frequent scores that we're having. And, and the same guy had just given me a number for ringing up to, to get bets on as opposed to having to go to the bookies. You know, having having a bookie where I could ring up, and and before that, where you know, if 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 you're going into bookies, you can only lose what's in your pocket, and that's fine. Yeah. Now you ring up and you're talking just numbers, and I remember yeah. actually we played we played Stoke away in the cup in the, in this uh, Wednesday night, and it was way down at Stoke's old ground, Victoria Ground, and um, we actually travelled down on on the morning of the game and I had our lunch, and then we're up to our room for for you know, asleep. And I, I used to room with Janola. He's sleeping within about five minutes. But now I've got this where I can ring up. So I'm back on the horses all afternoon and I won about three and a half grand. And I'm about to leave the hotel. I actually remember my, my hotel bill because again, no mobile yeah, phones. Telephone, yeah. <laughs> I'm using the hotel phone in the afternoon just, to, you know, to ring up to listen to the commentary of the races. And my bill for my, my phone bill was 198 quid for the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> is this whilst so, Janola slept through this? Uh, he's uh, he's lying sleeping. He's out like a light. Uh, but I'm just about to leave the hotel, and it came into my head this about two nil, two one, three nil, and three one. So I rang up, and Peter Beardsley hadn't scored in a while, so I had five hundred quid on Peter Beardsley for first goal. This is this is because you've won three and a half grand on the day. Yeah, I mean, I probably would have done it anyway, whether the one or the last. <laughs> but I had I had the money on Beardsley for first goal, but then I had five hundred pound doubles. Beardsley first goal two nil, two one, three nil, three one. So all five hundred pound doubles. Jesus. So Peter Beardsley scored the first goal after about, it was about forty minutes. Never ran as fast in my life to kiss Peter Beardsley. <laughs> to tell you that. Now. What was it, what was the situation though? If because you're playing in that game, what if you get a one on one or something? Oh, I was just praying that never happened. <laughs> I just it was very rare it would be very rare for me to get a percentages of a missed anyway <laughs> ah, exactly exactly <laughs> exactly um, so he scored the first then uh, about two minutes later just before half time he scored the second so we're 2-0 up so everything's looking great so your bet's on yeah your bet's winning now my, bet, my bet's winning um, I had a cross shot 15 minutes in the second half keeper parried it out Les Ferdinand scored 3-0 3-0 bet's still on the problem for me is it's half an hour left. So I was flipping, just going backwards. I wasn't wanting to go forward anytime I got the ball. Before that, anytime I got the ball, I was running at players and stuff. Now it was like just no interest in going forward. <laughs> and I remember I remember Paul Pescasolito for Stoke going clean through and goal. And uh, it was about 15 minutes left. And it bounced and he was trying to lob it over um, Shaka Hislop and he put it wide. But I was behind thinking, you know, score. Score, you want 3-1 3-1 was better for me but um, I remember then uh, it's about 6 what was you set to win eh? well I'll, t- I'll tell you now because um, 
if it stayed three nil, uh, well, Darren Peacock ventured forward. Uh, Darren, yeah, wasn't a goal scorer once every two years or something. The ball dropped him in the box. Um, he rifled in the top of the net, and everyone's running and jumping on top of him except me. I'm just <laughs> trudging back to the halfway line, thinking you've just cost me fifty two grand. Wow! No. And uh, when I do my sort of after dinners, you know, I, I, I sort of say this is the first time I knew what Darren Peacock's middle name was, Darren Effin Peacock. <laughs> um, but uh, that that happened on the Wednesday, and then on the uh, on the Friday. Is the, is the day I lost the forty-seven grand in in one afternoon, and I remember actually at a thousand pound on a horse the first bet of the day that day, and I won. But by twenty past five, I lost forty-seven grand, and then on the Saturday, weren't planned a Sunday in in London, travelled down the Saturday and lost another fifteen grand on the bus on the oh Saturday. Did you tell anybody about these instances at the time? No. no Do you no. think inwardly you were a little bit? Ashamed that you were doing that as your teammates? Oh, oh without it. No, I, I wasn't. I, I was just, uh, you're, you're sort of more ashamed in, in how much you're losing. I'm not, I wasn't sort of ashamed. Did you, like Keith, did you have the money in the bank to pay all this? No, no, because I had signing on fees to come and, and, and what have you. So that so, was a problem. Right. But the, cl- the club sorted it out then because the club, you know, I'm only, I've only been at the club, you know, I, I was on my 1200 quid a week. Fortunately, about three weeks after this happened, they signed a new contract and it went up to like five, yeah. and, a half, five and a half grand a week then. Did you go to the club to tell them then? No, because what happened was I, I still didn't have 62 grand. You know what I mean? So it went, the, the press found out about it and then Kevin Keegan called me down to his house. I went down and had, uh, had dinner with him and his family and all and he sorted the whole problem out. They forwarded me money that, that they would, yeah, yeah, yeah. that I would have in the future. And was sorted out that way. So he was absolutely brilliant with it. Um, but Jesus. you know, it's the same. I was sort of what age was I? I was twenty years of age at the time. So you were still very young and still very naive. And, and you'd no children a, and um, no. family to look after at that time. It was only you, and you're probably just thinking about you at that moment. Well, exactly. Um, and you know, as I say, the the boredom thing as, as a as a twenty year old, and you know, you are living on your own, and you're coming home to an empty house, and you know, you're, I mean, you, I've been in the in the city about eight nine months. It's still a new city to me. You don't know that that many people about mm-hmm. the place, so it is. It was a challenging time, but I, I even remember because I was I was playing really well that season, um, and I was providing plenty of goals. And I remember, um, I'll never forget Kevin Keegan on the coach on the way back because we drew one each away at Spurs that on that Sunday, and I just obviously lost the sixty two grand, but I played really well on the Sunday, and. Um, <laughs> and Kevin Keegan was great because we had such long journeys, you know, up to the to the northeast. You know, it's as far as you can go. Yeah. And Kevin, you know, would have would have got some drink on the coach and would have a drink on the way back. You know, if it was a favourable result. And I remember I was sat I was sat in the seat, um, you know, a seat of four, a table of four, and Peter Beards was on the inside, and there was nobody there was nobody sat opposite. But Kevin Keegan came and sat opposite me and he had a, a glass of wine and, and he pointed at me and says to, to uh, Peter Beardsley he could just be the best player in the country at this time and um, it's honestly it's something I'll never forget and Peter Beardsley said I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree and uh, I was sort of sitting there looking back at him thinking if only you knew the last two days after his dad yeah. but um, it's something that I'll never ever forget him saying that 
Um, you know, because it wasn't, it was the sea, obviously the 95, 96 season where Ginola was left wing. I was right. We were obviously flying high at top of the league and yeah. putting plenty of balls in and, and Fernand was getting on the end of them. So yeah, it's, it's something, you know, to, you know, to look back on that sort of per- three day period that, you know, something I'll never forget. Kevin, somebody like Kevin Keegan saying that, you know, to me. Do you know what, though, Keith? You you kind of laugh about it, don't you? Because I I do think that's very much a Northern Irish trait. You do laugh yeah. about things like that, and it's it's part of your your character as well to do that. But when you think about it now and you look back, is it is it not a little bit frightening to think about that time? Okay, um, it is and it isn't. Um, you know, because I sort of just got into the way of that was the way of life for me was training or else I was, you know, gambling. Training for me was and playing football was a relief away from the gambling side of things. The figures are obviously, look, you look back and, you know, they are scary. And did you feel like you had a problem at that time that you couldn't stop? Um, I suppose when you're young, you don't think like that though, do you? Yeah. Um, you know, you sort of just, it, you just get into, a, you know, a routine. This is what I do, you know, and, and, I think every dressing room is 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 the same. You know, maybe I'll tell you. There's there's people who play cards, you know, on a coach for money. There's people who are on the phone betting. There's people who read a book. There's people who watch films. You know, and you always have that three or four in a dressing room who who like a gamble. You know, and and there was a few at at Newcastle. Terry McDermott liked the gamble. Would have given me the odd tip. You know, he's assistant manager. You know, so they they knew that I, I liked the bet. Uh, but the thing about it was they didn't. They didn't know at the beginning to what extent I was actually mm-hmm. doing it, um, you know, because as I say, you are a little bit embarrassed and a little bit ashamed of of the figures that that I actually did lose, um, you know. But it is, I mean, it is a sort of, as you say, a Northern Ireland thing where you do sort of laugh things off because, you know, there's there's not an awful lot you can do about the past, um, you know. You make everyone makes mistakes. What did your mum and dad say? Um, I remember actually when it was getting into the newspapers, it was the front page of the Sun, you know, lost 62 grand in, in, in two days or whatever. And I remember having to ring my mum to tell her because I knew it was going to go into the papers. Yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, I've lost a lot of money. And she go, oh, son. And then she go, how much? And I say a lot. She go, what, 20,000? 20, I go, more. She go, oh, son. She got 40,000, oh, son. <laughs> And then I go off sixty. Flip six, son. <laughs> <laughs> she's from Northern Ireland. She's not Jamaican, Maisie. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so um, to tell her was 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 very difficult. But you know, uh, she flew over the next day. You know, <clears throat> so it's important you get the right people around you that uh, when you've got yeah. sort of bad times like that. So. It was an embarrassing thing because, you know, when you when you sort of look at sixty two grand in two days, you know, you you, you take in that's you, under, well, it's under, it's under grand. It is a hundred grand, you know, because obviously with tax, so yeah, it is um it is a lot of a lot of money. You did go on to write your book, obviously, um after the bankruptcy. What what led you to writing the book? It, it was my um my football agent thought that I had a, a real story to tell out there and and. The, the 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 one the one real good thing about the book is that um, I've got so much credibility because people have said about how honest it is, and mm-hmm. I've I've read a few autobiographies over the year, and you always feel as if you know the, there's bits left out, and I know that with mine that there isn't. You know yeah. everything is in there. It's a warts and all tale, um, and 
you know, it's obviously it can obviously be beneficial to those people who have who struggle with the gambling side of things, and they can see that you know that I struggled with it and have come out the other side. You know, obviously, there's you know, I touched the mental health side of things in it as well. Um, you know, so there is there is that in it where you sort of want to be helping people as well. Um, you know, and I've had I've had so many messages from people, mostly with the gambling side of things, about how it's really helped them. Um, reading my book, um, you know, so um, it was it was tough to write, you know, because you're going over old stuff, and mm. you know, it did take me a couple of years to to actually get it how how we like how we wanted to to get it, um, you know, but it was um, it was well worth it in the end. Mm-hmm. Brilliant book. Keith, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. No worries, you're very welcome. It's been a real pleasure. I'll just quickly add, for anybody that might want to get your book now, it's called How Not to Be a Football Millionaire, right? It is, yeah. Great name. <laughs> yeah, excellent name for it. Do you know, I, I have actually never read it. <laughs> I, um, oh, I haven't. Lockdown would have been a perfect time for you to do that, Keith, as well. I know what's in there. I don't really need to, yeah. to, to, uh, think you would to know read it. it. Just do you want to check it for spelling mistakes or anything? But honestly, <laughs> the thing about it is, it, it, with uh, with Twitter, I have never ever had one negative comment towards the book. You know, mm-hmm. everything has been, you know, praise towards how it's written and how honest it is. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, you think in in this day and age with social media, you where you get these trolls and all, you would get people yeah. who would. And I, I can I can honestly swear not one negative negative comment have I had towards mm-hmm. me about it. So, you know, I'm quite thankful for that. That's brilliant. Brilliant book. And you know what? We haven't even we've run out of time. We haven't even touched on your absolutely incredible Northern Ireland career. I know that you um, are very humble in saying that everybody's uh, compared to George Best, but I don't really think that's true, uh, Keith. <laughs> a true Northern Ireland legend, definitely. Oh no! Thanks for that, uh, Helen. <laughs> you, you know, I I much enjoy playing for my country, and it's great to see how well they're doing now. Definitely, we've got to go. Actually, I'm just going to be honest. Maisie's got to play golf. I got to. <laughs> hey, come him. on! I haven't even got on to <laughs> talk about Northern Ireland because you're going to play golf. Look at him get his coat and everything. Yeah, on. <laughs> it's just hey, as well you know him, Keith. Listen, I've had a really, really stressful three days. I know. You right. think you house broke into? How are you getting there? How are you getting there? I've nicked my daughter's car. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Per Maisie had his car stolen. Yeah, nightmare. Uh, I don't mind. Listen, I don't mind my car getting stolen by all means. You know, if it gets nicked, it gets nicked. But the actual fact that they came through the back patio doors while I was in bed is the scariest thing yeah. I've ever, ever encountered. Absolute scumbags. Yeah, so, no. Yeah. Can't be. It's been a pleasure, son. Talk, man. Maisie, I'll speak to you soon. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Keith. Thanks, Helen. Thanks, Sam. Cheers, Keith. It's great fun. Cheers. Take it easy. Cheers, troops. Bye, bye, bye. Maisie, welcome back. Thank you. Alarm all sorted? Alarm all sorted, yes. Yeah, a new alarm for the house because um, the one that supposedly had a a really good reputation is absolutely garbage. So I've just dumped him. (laughs) Not recommended officially by David May. No. No. So, um, but Keith Gillespie is. Yeah. Keith Keith Gillespie, what a lad. What a lad. Great, great interview. I love that. Very honest. It's one of those interviews we could have gone yeah. on and on yeah. and on and, and listened to so much more. It was very enjoyable, very interesting. Yeah, and he's, uh, I think when you have a problem that Keith had, one thing you want to do is try and open him up to 
you know, he's, he's, he didn't really hide anything. He was very open. And I think when you have podcasts, you need the God's honest truth. And Keith was absolutely fantastic with that. I think that's why his book was such a big seller as well, because he was just so honest. Well, he said that himself too, didn't he? Yeah. You know, I'm not going to hide around the really difficult bits of this story. This is what it is. But uh, as well as that, the football, like we spend a lot of time talking about his Manchester United career, which wasn't very long, but it's incredible. Those players, part of the class of 92, you know, the players that went on to win all of the trophies, but then you have like the likes of Ben and Keith who, you know, they didn't, go on to win all the trophies that the no. others did but incredible stories still mm-hmm. yeah absolutely amazing particularly coming, coming over from Belfast as well as a young kid having sustained digs and it's, it's, a, it's a story that you know you, you can sit you can sit and listen to it and you can actually envision yourself being in that position mm-hmm. also there must be a lot of uh, former players who would have stories like his but wouldn't want to share them especially the one where he said he was playing and he put his money on 3-1 and at 3-0, no, he's thinking, this is great. And he's trying to slow the game down and they score and yeah. win 4-0 and it cost him 50 grand. Yeah. Or he would have won 50 grand as opposed to he didn't lose it, did he? But I think there must be a lot of players who wouldn't tell those stories. And I think oh. it's amazing that he does. But that, that's that's why you want to have a podcast, the true honesty. Yeah. And um, I think it was 3-1 when he had to score 3-1. And uh, Gavin Peacock, or Gavin Effing Peacock, as he now calls him, yeah, because uh, he lost fit. I think fifty-two grand on that bet. Wow. Yeah, fifty-two grand. Yeah, yeah. crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Great podcast. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, good, very good. good yeah, to hear too. from from Keith. Shall we do an email? Hey, let's do some emails. Only the good ones. Uh, here's one for you, Maisie. It's from Mahin Naidu. He says, Hi team, I'm a Man United fan in South Africa. I started supporting the club when Gary Bailey joined, so it'd be great to hear him on the podcast. Other interesting guests would be McQueen, McGrath, Stam, Hughes, Cole and Sheringham. What about Martin Tyler? It would be great to hear about Man United through his experiences. This podcast has been a highlight during these weeks of lockdown. Thank you for brightening up our days. Thank you, Mahin. Thank you. Sean Hornby says, Hi guys, love the show so much. Thanks for doing this. Maisie is awesome with what he adds to the show with being a United legend. I'm a Cheshire boy born and bred and went to most of United's home games from 1978 to 1999 when I moved to California. Yes, I missed the big celebrations that year. I bring my family over every three to four years and always coincide with at least two United games uh, to go to with friends from Stockport or a cousin from Bangor. Favourite episodes so far, Cantona and Ollie, of course, plus Brian Robson, who I saw down the pub many a time in Hale and Bowden, great guy. I've listened to most podcasts twice as I'm an antique furniture restorer north of the Golden Gate Bridge with sanding and clients interrupting my listening. Pleasure, shouldn't complain. Keep up the good work, you three. Looking forward to Sir Alex Ferguson interview plus any chance of Sir Bobby Charlton. That would be incredible. Thank you very much indeed, Sean. An antique furniture restorer. My uh, my parents, uh, Sean might be interested to know, are antique furniture dealers. Oh, really? Maybe you could uh, get together, yeah. You could get something old, do it up and sell it. That'd be a laugh. He lives in Australia, though. That's a bit of a problem. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. And Australian antiques, eh? Mm-hmm. Now there's a business. Uh, one from Dan Hardy. I thought you said the, I thought, hold on, did you not say the Golden Gate Bridge? That's that's in California. Actually, he says he's Cheshire born and he moved to California. Where did I get Australia from? Yeah. Cut that bit out. <laughs> yeah. Keep that in. No. Uh, one here from Dan Hardy. He says, hi guys, my name is Dan. I'm 16 and I have a question for Sam and Helen. Just Sam and Helen. 
No, you could not go on for me. Listen, it used to get all the glory. It says, uh, hi guys, my name is Dan. I'm 16 and I have a question for Sam and Helen. My dream job is to work for MUTV. So I was wondering how you got to where you are, college, jobs, etc. I'm a massive fan of the podcast, so keep it up. I would love to see an episode with Dan James or Wayne Rooney. Thanks a lot, Dan. Go on, Helen. My story's very boring. I don't like talking about myself. Uh, Dan, thank you for asking. Were you just going to go, thanks for asking, I'm not telling you? I wasn't. I was going to skip that one. Dan, Dan, <laughs> to be fair... I'm not sure how they actually got their jobs. <laughs> no, me neither. I was, do you know what though, Maisie? I was going to say, the person, the person whose career path he wants is not mine, and I don't think it's Helen's, it's yours. <laughs> That's no, the way exactly. to get an MUTV. Oh, what, what are you trying to say? Working with you two is fantastic, because I can tell you what, it's not. <laughs> Actually, what I was saying was, is you've got to play for Manchester oh, right. United. Oh, right. So that's the way to do it. Play for the club for a few years, then yeah, get a, then become then a, get a nice job uh, chatting with your, your old teammates. That seems Perfect. like a nice way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, Dan, if it helps, I, I studied journalism and uh, then I don't know how I fluked my way here. I honestly have no idea. Similar to Sam, I did not study journalism, though. I studied sports science at university and I don't know how I ended up here, but there we go. I was else going out with a centre half. No, because I know that's what people will say about me, but it's actually not true. I know, I know. And I've tried. I've tried. I'd do it if it got me there. What you? You'd go out with the centre half. If it get me in the team, yeah. No, it's only going to get you a job. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed for your emails. As usual, we do really, really appreciate them. If there's anyone you would like to hear from in the future, uh, get in touch the usual way: unitedpodcast.manunited.co.uk. That address is in the show notes if you need it. And as always, we do appreciate a little review. So go on ahead and give us one. We will see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.